Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, hello and welcome. Uh, For those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time to to tune in with us uh, at Kindred, we're so glad you're here. If you're a longtime Kindred member uh, or anything in between, uh, I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, Real quick before we get into the sermon today, uh, next Sunday, that's April 17th, is Easter Sunday. And so for those of you who are local, uh, I would love to see you for in-person worship next Sunday. It'll be at 10 a.m at the AMC Classic Theater. You can get all the details about that on our website, which is kindrednc.church. You know, a big part of our mission here at Kindred is to reach out and to connect with people who could use a great church like Kindred in their life, who who don't already have one. Uh, And Easter is a a great time for us to reach a a bunch of new people. And so I hope that not only will you come uh, to join us for for Easter worship in person, but I hope those of you that are local, you'll think of some family members or you'll think of some friends or acquaintances you know uh, who might be interested in Kindred and and invite them to come to Easter worship with you. Uh, Easter is just one of those Sundays when even people who don't typically go to church uh, actually do go to church or actually willing to to go to church. So it's an awesome uh, opportunity uh, and I would love to to see you and uh, some of your friends and family and acquaintances next Sunday. Well, our scripture for today comes from the gospel uh, according to Matthew, and we're going to look at chapter 16, verses 21 through 28, and it says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and, scolding him, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. And then Jesus said to his disciples, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? For for the human one is about to come with the majesty of his father with his angels, and then he will repay each one for what that person has done. I, I assure you, that some standing here won't die before they see the human one coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here's a question for you. Uh, I wonder, uh, how do you typically spend the, the last hour of your day, in that final hour before you go to sleep, as you're trying to calm down and relax and unwind after all the events of the day, uh, what do you typically do in that last hour? 
at our house, um, evenings tend to be a little chaotic. As uh, many of you know, we've got uh, a couple of small kids. And uh, so typically in the evening, we, we come home, we do dinner together. Uh, my kids are still at the age where at any given meal, probably about a third of their food ends up on the floor uh, or elsewhere. So there's usually some pretty intense cleanup involved uh, after dinner. And then my wife and I will take the kids upstairs and we'll do bath time and uh, brush teeth and we read them a book and we say prayers. And then finally we, we put them to bed. And then after that, uh, we usually have about an hour, give or take, uh, this, this precious hour just to ourselves before we go to sleep. And uh, what we typically do in that hour is we'll go downstairs and we'll crash on the couch and we'll fire up Netflix or Hulu and we'll watch a show uh, because we love at the end of the day to just kind of lose ourselves in a great show. You know what I mean when I say lose ourselves? Like, like there's something so therapeutic to me at least about at the end of the long day just kind of setting aside my concerns, setting aside my problems and, and just getting lost in the, the story of a great TV show. Uh, so that's, that's usually how we spend our last hour of the day. And I'm guessing that for many of you, it, it's probably pretty similar. You may not be a, a Netflix person. Some of you, I'm, I'm sure, like to read. And so maybe you spend the last hour of your day getting lost in a good book, or you spend the last hour of your day uh, getting lost in a, a video game or, or something like that. It's interesting to me that when we get to that part of the day, when we're trying to un unwind and, and relax, we, we gravitate towards activities that help us to, to lose ourselves. We gravitate towards things that help us to, to kind of pull our attention uh, away from, from our concerns and, and our life. There's something liberating about that. There's something life-giving uh, about that. And I was reflecting on it this week. You know, uh, it's not just at the end of the day that this happens, but in a lot of situations when we're trying to relax and, and unwind, we, we gravitate towards things that help us to, to lose ourselves. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. As many of you know, um, at Kindred right now, our in-person worship services are held inside of a movie theater. And uh, movie theaters are like a monument to our deep desire to lose ourselves, right? If you think about it, when you're inside of a movie theater, you'll notice uh, there are no windows. Why is that? Because when we're in there, we don't want to think about life outside of there. We don't want to think about the outside world. We, we want to get lost in the movie. Uh, and, you know, inside the movie theater, it's, it's very dark and you've got surround sound speakers and you've got this giant screen that fills up almost your entire field of vision. All of that is designed intentionally to help us lose ourselves, right? And even before the movie starts, we get this spiel about, you know, no talking and stay off your phones and, and all of that. Because if people are talking through the movie, people are playing on their phones in the row in front of us, is going to distract us and we're not going to be able to do what we came there to do, which is to lose ourselves. Uh, maybe some of you aren't really big movie people, um, but, but we do this in all kinds of different ways. You know, how often when we've wanted to relax, do we just seek out a chance to, to hang out with friends and just have a great conversation? You know, uh, it's awesome when you can uh, have a great conversation with a friend where you just kind of like lose track of, of time. Uh, for some of us, we, we seek out chances to, to watch sports and we just kind of lose ourselves uh, in watching a, a game. Uh, sometimes we try to lose ourselves um, in you know, going to a concert, getting lost in the, the music, or uh, getting lost in a, a great workout. I know for some of you, a great workout sounds like an oxymoron, but, but it can happen. Uh, it can happen. When we want to unwind and rejuvenate, we have this dis uh, instinctive desire 
to try to lose ourselves. So why is that, do you think? Uh, why does that feel so good? Why do we crave losing ourselves? I can't prove this, but I have a theory. I wonder if it's because we tend to spend about 99% of our time focused on ourselves, and we tend to spend about 99% of our energy on ourselves, and I just wonder if on some level we're all desperate for a break from that. You know, if we're honest, we spend 99% of our time thinking about our to-do list and our problems and our concerns and our job and our family and our future, uh, everything tends to revolve around me, 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 and, and my, 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 right? And we live in this culture that actually encourages that, that praises us for that. This is sort of the American way to happiness, right? We're, we're told that if we want to be happy, we need to focus on ourselves and apply ourselves and go get or create the life that we want for ourselves. And, and we're told if we're doing all of that and, and we're still not happy, well, then we just need to focus on ourselves even more. But if that's true, then how come it feels so good to, to lose ourselves? How come it feels so relieving when we shift our focus to, to something else? Maybe, just maybe, what our culture tells us is actually a lie. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but maybe it's the case that this self-centered way of life actually just leaves us exhausted and actually just leaves us overwhelmed. Uh, maybe this self-centered way of life actually makes us feel worse and not better. So that the reason we love to lose ourselves, the, the reason that we instinctively seek that out is because a, a big part of us just feels more alive when we shift the focus away from ourselves. Well, the reason I bring all of this up is because I think that that is basically what Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage that we just heard from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is teaching us that contrary to what we tend to assume, contrary to what our culture so often tells us, that the way to be fully alive is not to focus on ourselves, but to lose ourselves. And not just temporarily, but Jesus is calling us to lose ourselves in this whole new way of life. So what is that way of life that Jesus offers to us? And, and how is that better than our current way of life? Uh, hang on to those questions for a second. We're going to come back to this in just uh, a minute. This sermon is a little bit non-linear. We're going to jump around uh, a bit today, but I hope that by the end you'll, you'll see how all the pieces uh, fit together. Uh, so real quick, let me just catch you up if you haven't been with us uh, in this sermon series. Uh, one day Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, and one of the disciples uh, raised his hand and, and asked a really great question. He said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And in response, Jesus gives us this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And this is a prayer that Jesus wants us to learn by heart and to practice praying verbatim. But it's also kind of a guide and a template that we can use to shape our approach to all of our prayers. So we're in this sermon series where we're working through the Lord's Prayer line by line, and for each line of the prayer, we're thinking about what does this mean and how does this help to teach us how to pray? Uh, so if you've missed the previous uh, sermons in the series, I'd encourage you to get on the podcast, pull up the worship videos, catch up on those sermons. We've learned some interesting and, and I think uh, very helpful things through this series. Uh, but today is actually the final week in the series, and we're going to be looking at the final line of the Lord's Prayer. And many of you know this, but the final line of the Lord's Prayer says this. 
talking to God, says, God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Or in the traditional translation, it would say, God, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, here's something interesting about this final line that you may not know. Uh, if you flip open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, that's where Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer, you actually won't find these words on the lips of Jesus. In fact, you won't see these words there at all, that this whole final line is missing. Uh, if you flip your Bible over to Luke chapter 11, which is the other place where Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer, you also won't find these words there at all. Uh, apparently, Jesus never said these words. And in fact, those of you that are coming from a, a Catholic background, you may have learned the Lord's Prayer without this final line included in it. Uh, my wife and I had this embarrassing experience uh, a few years ago. We were worshiping in a, a Catholic church, and we were saying the Lord's Prayer together with the, the congregation during the, the service. And we got to this final line, and we just blurted it out because... That's how we had learned the Lord's Prayer, but everybody else in the church just stopped, and so we were the only ones uh, saying it, and we were kind of outed as like Protestants uh, hiding out in this, this Catholic context. Um, so uh, all of this kind of raises the question of like, if Jesus didn't actually include this line in the Lord's Prayer that he taught, where do these words come from, and why do we still say them today? Uh, well, scholars have studied this. They've actually been studying this for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And ultimately, scholars have traced this back all the way to like the, the very earliest Christians, actually, like the, the first generation, second generation of, uh, of Christians. Apparently, as they were getting in the habit of, of praying the Lord's Prayer, they decided to add this final line. God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. And so the question is, why did those first Christians feel like those words were so important that they needed to tack this onto the end of the Lord's Prayer? Uh, why did they feel like these words were so important that they needed to supplement the actual words that Jesus tells us to, to pray? Well, to answer that question, I think it helps for us to take a look at this passage from Matthew uh, chapter 16 that we read uh, a minute ago, because I think in this passage, uh, we're very subtly getting the, the answer to that question. Uh, so let's, let's uh, kind of flesh out this, this uh, story in Matthew 16. You can try to visualize this. Uh, this takes place kind of in the middle of Jesus' ministry years. So the disciples had been following Jesus for some time now, but uh, they still had a ways to go before they would get to the crucifixion and the resurrection and, and all of that stuff. And uh, as they were following Jesus, they had been working really hard. It was kind of exhausting. They were always walking around everywhere, always on the move. Uh, they had been doing a lot of teaching and, and preaching and uh, healing people, and, and they were pretty worn out. And uh, being the, the great leader that he was, uh, Jesus could tell that the disciples could really use a break. So he kind of takes them on this retreat, essentially. They, they go uh, all the way up to the very northern part of Israel, which is a region called the, the Golan Heights. And uh, so they're kind of up in this, this mountain retreat. And in that context, uh, Jesus tells them this, this thing that is so strange. Um, but I think it's probably one of the most important things that, that Jesus ever told them. And, and they came to, to think that as well. Jesus looks at his disciples 
Uh, and he says this. This is Matthew 16, verses 24 and, and 25. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And he says, All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Isn't that strange? All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. What on earth does that mean? Is this like a riddle? What is this about? At the time, the disciples had no clue what Jesus was talking about. But later, as they continued to follow Jesus, and then after the resurrection, as these same disciples would go out and start spreading the gospel around the world and, and, and uh, growing the church around the, the world over time, they, they figured out what Jesus meant by these strange words. That when we commit ourselves to, to following Jesus, when we commit ourselves to the way uh, of Jesus, there's a sense in which we, we kind of lose ourselves along the way. We, we kind of lay down our lives, or at least we lay down our obsession with our own lives. Because as we follow Jesus, what, what naturally happens is that our focus shifts from ourselves so that we're more focused on God. We're more focused on loving God and, and serving God. And in the process, we become more focused on loving others and, and serving others. The, the disciples figured out that, that when we lose ourselves in that way, uh, we, we actually find our true selves. We find true life. We, we find the life that we were craving all alone because once we're free from our self-centeredness, then we're free for beauty. We're free to experience meaning and, and purpose. We're free to be part of what God is doing in this world in, in ways that are just impossible when we're turned inward on ourselves. That The disciples figured out that's what Jesus is talking about when he says this mysterious thing about uh, losing yourself to find yourself, losing your life to find your life. Jesus is saying that that losing ourselves in following him is actually the way to become fully alive. So getting back to the, the Lord's Prayer, and, and why did these first Christians feel the need to add this final line of the, the Lord's Prayer? Well, well this is why. They, they say because uh, when we pay attention to these words in the final line of the prayer, God, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, those words help us to lose ourselves in the way of Jesus. Uh, think about it. When, when we pray, God, yours is the kingdom, we're acknowledging that, that God, it's not about me and, and my kingdom, but the way that leads to life, God, is about me working for your kingdom. Uh, when we pray, God, yours is the power, we're acknowledging it's not about me and, and my power, God, but it's about me trusting in your power. When we pray, God, yours is the glory, we're acknowledging that, God, it's not about me and, and my glory, but the way that leads to life is about me humbling myself, God, so that I can give you glory. And so when those first Christians added this final line of the prayer, they're, they're telling us, hey, this is so important. You need to remember this every single time you pray this. Self-centeredness doesn't lead to life. That's, that's a lie. Self-centeredness seems like the way, but it's not. Because as long as you're self-centered, you're never going to be able to come fully alive. The way to be fully alive, the way to the life you crave, is to lose yourself in the way of Jesus. Now, as we think about this, 
Uh, we might say to those first Christians, if we could talk to them, we might say, hey guys, uh, yeah, we get that this is important and, and all of that, but is it really important enough to add this to the end of the Lord's Prayer? Is it really important enough that you felt the need to supplement the words of Jesus himself to which they would say to us, trust us, yes, it is that important, and here's why. Uh, you know, today is a holiday in the church that we call Palm Sunday, and this is the day each year when we remember the story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Some of you know this story. Uh, it takes place one week before Easter, but at this point, nobody knows that Easter is coming. And in fact, at this point, nobody but Jesus knows that he's going to be killed in, in just a, a few days. Um, but Jesus arrives in the city of Jerusalem. And when people hear that Jesus is, is coming in, uh, people in the city are super excited. I mean, they are really hyped because they, they've heard about Jesus. They've heard that he is this amazing miracle worker. They've heard these rumors that he might just be the Messiah. He might just be this long-awaited Savior sent from God. And so this, this crowd starts to gather to, to come and, and see Jesus enter the city. And as Jesus rides in, he does something kind of provocative. Uh, he rides in on a donkey, which is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. So when people see that, they get super hyped. And uh, they, they grab palm branches and start waving palm branches in the air. And palm branches at that time were a symbol of patriotism and, and national pride. So that's why we call this Palm Sunday now. And that's why we have our, those of you watching on video, we've got our palm arrangement here that you can see. Uh, so uh, in this moment, people are singing and they're worshiping the, the disciples and, and the crowds. They're, they're chanting Jesus's name, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's like in this moment, everybody's losing themselves. The crowds, the disciples are, are losing themselves, and it seems like they're losing themselves in all the right ways here, right? I mean, they're ready to work for God's kingdom. They are trusting in God's power. They're giving God glory so far so good. But within a few days, all of that begins to change. It changes really quickly. Because in the days that followed Palm Sunday, people began to realize that this kingdom that Jesus was bringing in, it wasn't like a worldly empire in the way that they had hoped. And as they watched Jesus, they realized that, that God's power was not on display in this kind of military show of strength like they had hoped. And, and so in the days that, that followed Palm Sunday, everybody stopped giving God glory and they went right back to, to seeking glory for themselves in different ways. So that by Friday, that very same week, all of Jesus' disciples had abandoned him. And by Friday of that very same week, the same crowd that on Sunday had been shouting, Jesus, 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 on Friday they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So then fast forward, uh, after Easter... Uh, the disciples had some thinking to do. They had to come to terms with the fact that they had been really quick to abandon Jesus. And they had been really quick to abandon the way of Jesus. Uh, and of course, Jesus forgave them. And Jesus forgives us when, when we fall short, no question. But what the disciples learned through that experience was that it's not enough for us to lose ourselves in the way of Jesus temporarily. 
It's not enough for us to lose ourselves in the way of Jesus on occasion. It's not enough to sometimes work for God's kingdom, to sometimes trust in God's power, to sometimes give God's glory, because the truth is, it doesn't take long for any of us to go right back to focusing on ourselves and and our kingdom, whatever that might look like, our power, our own glory. And when we do that, these disciples learned the hard way that we miss out on the opportunity to be fully alive in the way that Jesus offers to us. So that's why. That's why those first Christians would say, yeah, this really is that important. It really is worth adding this line to the end of the Lord's Prayer because they would say, we know from experience that we need to pray this a lot. And those first Christians would say to you, and they would say to me, hey, look, you need to pray this a lot too. God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Keep losing yourself in that, those first Christians are telling us, because that is the way to be fully alive. So as we uh, conclude this sermon series here, uh, I hope that along the way you learned some helpful things about prayer in general. I hope you learned some helpful new things about the Lord's Prayer in particular. More than anything, I hope that you'll continue to pray the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis. You know, those very first Christians, they would often pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, sometimes more. That may feel like too much to you, but I would encourage you to to figure out some intentional ways to to keep praying this on a regular basis. We're gonna help you with this. Uh, Those of you who worship with us in person, uh, you may have noticed this already, but the Lord's Prayer is part of our weekly communion liturgy. So we'll, we'll keep praying this together, and my hope is that that'll be one of the ways that we at Kindred Church can keep coming together to lose ourselves in the way of Jesus. As we wrap up here, I would invite us one final time to pray the Lord's Prayer uh, out loud together, if you can, or pray along uh, in your heart. Uh, The words to the Lord's Prayer are in the video description or the podcast description here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, before you uh, click out of the video here or exit the, the podcast, a couple, uh, a couple quick things for you. Uh, so if you are new to Kindred, I would love to be able to connect with you. Uh, there's a link in the video description or the podcast description here that says connect. If you fill that out and, and leave me some contact information, I'll reach out to you this week. I'd love to say, hey, introduce myself, get to know you uh, a little bit, but I'm so glad that you tuned in today. Um, also, those of you that are local, again, would love to see you next Sunday for Easter worship, 10 a.m. at the AMC Classic Theater. Get the details about that on our website, kindrednc.church. Uh, also in the video description or the podcast description, you'll see a link to this week's latest updates. Uh, and that's got ways that you can uh, get more involved in our community. We'd love for you to take the next step, uh, whatever that is for you. Well, with that, friends, I hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Listeners, this free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. You're giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. 
You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website, as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.